you have your phone or if you have your iPad, there's so many different ways that you can actually um, follow God's Word. We really don't have an excuse. You got it in your pocket. You got it in your home. Uh, Julie and I, we were ordering some things and and um, we got two more Bibles. And we only ordered one, but we got two. And so, um, different translation. We wanted a different translation. So, uh, the funny thing was, we're getting no because we had already ordered it and got a second. Well, we ordered it the second time and realized right after we ordered it, it came and delivered to our door. So, anyway. First uh, Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8. I don't know about you, but how many do you, of you remember the talk? <laughs> okay, the talk. Okay, growing up in my household, I'm the oldest, and I dreaded what I heard was coming to me as a uh, junior high kid. Uh, you know, they all talked about, have your parents had the talk with you? And that's where they talked to you about sex. And I'll never forget it. Uh, the only time my parents ever talked to me about sex is when they had the talk. And I'll remember, here's how it happened. My dad one day showed up and handed me a book. And he said, son, read this. If you have any questions, let me know. Number one, I did not read the book. Uh, gosh, I mean, number two, I had no questions for my dad because we never talked about it. And years later, as adults married, uh, I said to my dad one time, I said, dad, you did a disastrous job of giving me the talk. And he just laughed at me and he said, Billy, you got more than I got. And I'm thinking, he didn't get a book. <laughs> so that's all I got. Now, Julie uh, came up with a very similar story. Um, just wasn't discussed much in our families, uh, you know, and... Teenagers, there's something worse than your parents. I, I want you to look up here. Something worse than your parents giving you the talk. It's being the parent that gives the talk. So my wife informed me we would never have that happen. So we had to, with every one of our kids, sit down, talk about sexuality, and I mean, she's better at it than I am. I was just like, you know, and we got through it, okay? And, and, and so it's a very difficult subject. For me as a pastor, it's very difficult because I want you to understand this is not a cherry-picked sermon where I thought, okay, who can I hurt today, whatever. This is First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. It's where we are in the book of Thessalonians. And so I actually think part of the problem with the talk is churches don't talk about it very often. And when they talk about it, most of the time it's negative. 
It's don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And I grew up in a world where it was the thing to try to talk negative about sexuality and and always be down on people, and, and that is not my goal. And I think you'll see that. I'm not too worried about that. But that's what I grew up with. There was very little teaching from the pulpit about the whys and the whatnots, and, and, and there just wasn't, because it's not fun to talk about. But that's what God's called me to do. And so my message is really to children, to youth, and adults. And I know it might make you a little uncomfortable. I don't think it really will that much. And you teenagers... I'm talking to you, but I'm also talking to them. Because sexuality, sex, the way God intended it, is a very positive thing. It's a gift from God, and we need to understand that. Now, there's two primary sources that ought to give you the talk. Number one, I think the church. The church has a responsibility to teach people, adults, youth, and children, what the Bible says about sexuality. Uh, that's what I'm called to do. And I think the church has to get the truth out. Okay? Number two, I think parents have that responsibility. Proverbs 22.6 says, Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. That is a proverb, it's a probability, it's not a promise, but it's saying to parents, your job is to point your kids in the direction that Christ would have them to go, and there's a good chance if you do that, when they get older, they will make wise choices, but it's not a promise, it's, it's not a guarantee. Because many good parents have done their best job to teach their kids what is right and what is wrong, and children, including myself, have chosen to do wrong at times, right? We all have. Uh, Ephesians 6.4 says it this way, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, but then it says, rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And so a dad has a primary responsibility and a mom to make sure their kids are raised with an understanding of what sexuality is all about. Because our world is confusing. And so that's what brings us to the uh, talk in First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 8. Now, you need to understand the context. So I want you to pay attention. The church of Thessalonica, if you want to know where it started, you go back to Acts chapter 17. We are told in Acts chapter 17 that Paul and Silas formed the very first church in Thessalonica. There had never been a Christian church. There had been a Jewish synagogue and we are told that Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica 
And for three Sabbaths, they reasoned that Jesus was the Messiah. And during that time, we are told that Jews and Gentiles came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You need to know that the city of Thessalonica was about as wild as wild can be. It was about as immoral of a place as you could be. And so Paul and Silas, they were there for about three weeks to maybe three months. We don't know for sure. And they got ran out of town because the Jews didn't like what they were teaching. So Paul writes this letter of 1 Thessalonians a year later because he is worried about them. And and his number one worry is they were not going to live for Christ. And so when you get to chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is going to teach them what it means to live for Christ, what it means to be godly. They did not know. It was new to them. It was a new religion in that area. And Paul knew, because he had been there, that it was a very, very immoral place. Let me just give you an example. These things that I'm about to mention were all considered normal and even encouraged. Number one, prostitution. It was legal and rampant and very common for a man, and I guess a woman, but for a man to pay for sex. It was just okay. It was not illegal. It was almost encouraged. And so prostitution was a problem. But then there was another problem, because in that culture, you were allowed to have concubines. Concubines were slaves that you would buy, that their whole point was pleasure for you. So this was accepted, this was cool in this culture. It was not considered wrong or amoral. It it, it was considered a part of being married. Yes, you got married back then, but the wife had the main responsibility of taking care of the house, cooking food, and taking care of the children. Sex was something for other people after you have your kids. Now, in this culture, in this culture, they had friends with benefits. It was okay. It was actually encouraged to have a female friend or a male friend and to have sexual activity with that person. It was not looked down on. It was not called wrong. It was accepted. Uh, the one, uh, adultery was accepted. Uh, unyoung, uh, unmarried young men were encouraged to have a mistress or visit a prostitute. When I was in college, I was on the tennis team, and one of the guys on our tennis team was from Brownsville, and he was telling us one time that when he turned 16, that's what his dad did, took him to a prostitute. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, Very common in that day. Was not looked down on. There was no shame to it. Here's another one. We we tend to forget this because we read the Bible and we sanitize it. But in that time, part of their worship 
influenced by the Babylonians was temple prostitutes. So here's the story. Get this. You wanted to get close to a certain God? Well, you went to that temple and they had prostitutes and they told you that your sexual activity with that prostitute would bring you closer to God. It was perfectly endorsed by the church. Temple prostitutes. Uh, Then you had homosexuality. Accepted. Pedophilia. Accepted. Uh, There was not a sexual sin in that culture that was frowned upon. So here comes this guy named Paul writing to these new Christians and going, guess what? Party stops. There's a deeper reason. There's a more beautiful reason than what you see in your culture. And so Paul begins to explain in these verses, verses 1 through 8, what it means to live the life that honors Christ. And he's speaking to a group of people who who are coming out of a culture that says, whatever you want to do is okay. Do it. It's no problem. It's not frowned upon. But that's not what Scripture says. Look what it says beginning in verse 1. He says, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. See, he's coming to these people who could have said, I'm pleasing God, I visited the temple prostitute. But he says, no, I want you to think about pleasing God in a different way. He says, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. When Paul was there a year earlier, they taught these Christians some of these principles. But I know Paul. Paul was worried that some of them had forgotten these principles. Verse 2 says, For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So what I'm about to say to you is not just some guy named Paul, but it's Jesus Christ that has a talk about what is right and what is wrong. Look at verse 3. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will know how to control your own body. Live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion, like the pagans who do not know uh, God and His ways, never harm or cheat fellow believers in the matter by violating His wife. That word wife there can also mean vessel or body. For the Lord avenges all such sin as we solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore... Anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but rejecting God who has given His Holy Spirit to you. Alright, so here we go. He says in verse 3, it's God's will for you 
to be holy. I hate that word because when I think of holy, I think a guy in robes and white hair and someone who is perfect. That's not what it means. The, the word literally means set apart. Set apart for God. Set apart from sin. It does not mean perfect. It means set apart for God. He says it's God's will for you to be different. Here's the thing we need to understand. In the world, they need to see that the church is different when it comes to sexuality. They need to not just hear it, and Christians are real good about shouting it, but they want to see what it looks like. And, and we need to understand this about sexuality. It's positive. You see, a lot of people don't understand that, that sex between a husband and a wife is biblical. And a lot of times we, we think of sex in just uh, the wrong ways. There's, there are about four reasons for sex. Let me give them to you. Number one, children. That's how you get here. Now, I, I believe the church got it wrong, the Catholic church. I believe that's not the only reason. Pleasure. It's just biblical. Uh, uh, not only just pleasure, but there's a third reason, intimacy. This is the one I think is so cool. Now, let me help you out. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Adam knew his wife in most of your translations. And you think, oh, I know Julie. That's not what the word means. As a matter of fact, in, in, in my translation, it doesn't say that, uh, it says, now Adam, same translation, had sexual relations with his wife. The word know, yada, in the Hebrew, means to know. One of the reasons for sex in marriage, it's, it's the deepest form of intimacy that you could have in a relationship. And God reserves it for a husband and wife. And so when we understand about what it means to have a godly marriage, it means you have two people who love Jesus, a male and a female, that have made a commitment in marriage, a covenant with God, and that makes that relationship, it, it, it produces children, it's pleasure, but it's intimacy. And the church needs to understand that the world needs to hear us say that there's more than just having children. So he goes on to say in Hebrews 13.4, write this down. Marriage should be honored by all. Christians, we have to honor marriage. And it says, and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. In other words, sex is meant for a husband and wife. That's what it means to honor marriage. That's what it means to keep it pure, to keep it within the bonds of marriage. Paul is talking to a group of people who were raised in a culture that said anything goes. Whatever you want to do. Listen, this stuff about I just got to follow my heart is dangerous. Your heart will lead you astray. Now, I got another thing. Go read the Song of Solomon. It's a picture of marriage sexually between a committed 
man and woman. It's a beautiful picture of what marriage should be. So the Bible is very positive in the purpose of marriage. It's very positive about sex. But it, it, it's very negative when you don't do things God's way. Look at the second part of uh, verse 3. It says, Paul said, So stay away from all sexual sin. Another translation says it this way, that you abstain from sexual immorality. God's command through Paul was, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not to be involved with sexual immorality. Not in actions, not in your eyes, your vision. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we are to not be involved in any way or fashion with sexual immorality. As a matter of fact, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to have the understanding that marriage is the place for sexuality. We need to understand that God does not want that because it's not best for us. An issue that is difficult today... It's rampant. It's pornography. Pornography, according to Jesus, if you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, he says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So don't think that you're not doing it, but you're looking at pornography because they're both harmful that are harmful to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, the most dangerous thing a teenager has is a cell phone. And as a parent, you ought to feel free to check at any time because it gives you instant access. Here's another thing to think about, is that even though it's on the internet, even though it's on the phone, there is a young lady or a young man that is losing his soul for someone else's pleasure. Paul says it's abstain from all sexual immorality. But our world says, if you're committed to them, if you love them, it's okay. That's the world. We as believers have the ability to make right choices. Look at verse 4. I love this. Because here's the key. He says, Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Here's the deal. Every single one of us, male or female, have the responsibility to control ourselves. You know, it used to be said, you girls need to not dress this way because you're causing the young men to stumble. Let me tell you what, young men, you should not stumble. Regardless if a girl does what she should or shouldn't do, 
you and I have a responsibility to control our behavior. Paul says you need to you need to control yourself. You need to be careful. Uh, listen, to control yourself is to understand. Here, here, here's what. To control yourself is to understand if you ask the question, how far is too far, you've already asked the wrong question. <laughs> That's teenager one. How far is too far, Pastor Bill? Probably too far just asking the question. Because that's just wanting to see how close you can get to the edge of the cliff. And, and, and I want you to understand that in God's timing and in God's way, that's a wonderful gift that He gives you. But not until then. Handle yourself. Control yourself. Control your eyes. Control your actions. I mean, my life, I've worked so hard to, to, to stay uh, faithful. I, 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 I'm sorry, but when I'm by myself with another woman, if she's in my age range, I'm scared to death. I, I remember sometimes somebody came up here to see me, and I'm slowly walking to the door trying to get outside. Uh, I don't ride in the car with other women unless it's an emergency, and then I call two or three people and say, okay, um, I'm about to get in the car. It's 5.05. You, you say, Bill, that's stupid. No, it's not. It's not that I don't trust them. I don't trust me. Whenever you start thinking that you're above all this, you're already in trouble. You have to, I mean, you've got you to gotta be careful where you go, what you look at, what you think about. I mean, all of that's my responsibility, and you have the same responsibility that I have. You do, you do have the right to say no. And, and, and you have that responsibility. Then you look at verse 5. This gives me hope because, listen, in verse 5 he says this. He says, Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and His way. <laughs> Here's the contrast. If, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you can do whatever you want. That's just... There's, what moral code do you have if you don't know Jesus? I mean, you don't need one. The reason I have a moral code is because I have a moral God and a relationship with Him. And, and we need to understand, this is good. There were Christians that Paul was teaching... This too, he had already messed up. So that's hopeful for anybody that's messed up. You know, the gospel comes. And, and here's another thing. We're all broken. We're all broken. Jesus is the, in the business of putting broken people back together. And so Paul says, you don't need to be like the lost people. They don't know God. They don't know His way. You need to be holy. You need to be different. And then look, look at verse 6. And, and the NIV, I like the way it says this. It says, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage or of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all who commit such sins as we told you before. Listen, don't take 
advantage of a brother or sister in Christ. That's what it is. If you're not married, you're taking advantage. If they're married, it's wrong. If they're not married, it's wrong. Until you're married to that person, you're taking advantage of them. And God says, there's consequences. There's consequences. Now, verse 7 says, God has called us to live holy lives, separate lives, not impure lives. And then verse 8 says it the best. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives us His Holy Spirit to you. Wow. This is this, this sexuality that we have in the Scripture is God's thing. And He's got it for your good and for my good, and, and it's a good thing. So let me wrap it up. Let me try to. Number one, I, I sweat bullets over this stuff because the worst thing I could do is come in and make someone feel like they're beyond help. So what happens when you've already messed up? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you go to Him and you get clean. Listen, we, we are grace people. I guarantee you there's not a man in this room that hadn't messed up with his eyes. Including this one. But you know, when you mess up with your eyes, you go to the Father and say, clean me up. And you make a determination that not to do that again. I I found this verse in my quiet time. I'm reading through Revelation. It's tough. I'm not getting a whole lot of practical things. But I did get this, and it applies to the last song that we sang about the blood. But it applies to how you get clean. In Revelation 7.14, it says this, Then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. Here's the part I love. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but washing something in blood doesn't make it white. When I worked for my dad in Denison, Texas, uh, our ice cream store, you wore white shirts. And uh, we sold dry ice, and the dry ice was kept in a box, and you would go out into the back, and you'd open the lid. It was a fiberglass lid, and then you would get these tongs, and you'd bend over, and you would pull the block of dry ice out, and you would cut it. Well, I went back there to do that, and I've done it a thousand times to go back there and get the the, the pliers or whatever they're called. And when I pulled it up, because they sometimes weigh about 50 pounds, I bumped it forward and it slammed on my head. And it busted my head open and I went running onto the front of the store where there was a friend of mine working covered in blood. I mean, it, you know, and blood doesn't, it's not, it's sticky. And so I'm going up there. He doesn't know what's happened to me. He thinks I've been shot or something. And, and I said, hey, 
I hit my head. I think I need to go to the emergency room. And I'll never forget, I drove all the way to the emergency room. And I go in the emergency I'm walking in, you know, and I'm covered in blood. And it's curdling on your face and your eyes. And I'm walking in, and they're, they're thinking I'm a gunshot victim. And they're, like, rushing me in. And then they go, oh, it's Billy Ashburn. Well, here's all I know. Blood doesn't make things white except in the spiritual realm. Now, I don't care. I don't care what sin. Adultery, premarital, uh, uh, whatever. When you go and you confess your sins to the Lamb, He washes you clean with His blood. I, I, I have this theory. Why so many people start out doing well sexually in the sense that they're staying pure and then they they blow it one time, whether it's divorce or whether it's they blow it in a dating relationship and then after that they give up trying because they've already blown it. No, you haven't. You go to the Savior. You, You get clean again. 1 John 1, 9 says this. It says, But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't care what kind of sexual sin you have committed. If you confess it to Jesus Christ, He makes you clean. Don't see yourself as a second-class citizen. And the church doesn't need to treat people who failed like that. Louis Gigolo said it this way. I love Louis. He said, the enemy wants to define you by your scars. Jesus wants to define you by his. That's good. Second thing, wrapping it up. Sex is a gift to a husband and wife in marriage. It is a good thing. It is a great thing. And we don't need to be ashamed and we need to teach teenagers. This is a good thing when you do it God's way. It's just a a blessing. Sounds crazy. You heard your pastor say it. Number three, men and women need to have boundaries in their dating life. Um, When I uh, was in college and even out of college, I had some boundaries. I only dated certain kind of girls. You say, what kind of girl? Christian. That was, you know, just getting married doesn't doesn't solve sexual immorality. Uh, Getting married to a godly person, and you're a godly person, and as you grow closer to God and each other, it's a blessing. But just getting married doesn't solve anything. Sometimes it complicates it. But we need to have boundaries. We need to say, this is what I'm not going to do. You know, my parents wouldn't let me go in a room by myself and close the door with a girl. (laughs) Obviously by myself, but but we weren't allowed. You said, well, Bill, that's archaic. Didn't they trust you? I doubt it, and they had good reason not to. (laughs) Um. You have to have boundaries. I I hope every one of you teenagers will make your goal to wait until you're married to a godly man. That that needs to be your goal. And if you do that, that determines the kind of person you date. It 
It determines where you go, what you do. Listen, boy, I just, you girls, listen to me. (laughs) To a guy, sex does not mean he loves you. (laughs) That's right. It's the truth. Don't buy that lie. Somebody needs to say it, because I know guys. It doesn't mean they love you. It's terrible how many times I've heard people think that and got disappointed. Uh, Fourth thing, uh, living together is not biblical. If I could say anything to anybody, don't do it. And then I'd say, if you're doing it, come see me, let's solve the problem. Why? Because they have done study after study that shows it's not good. Uh, marriage is a relationship, not sex. And, and um, just don't do it. Don't buy it. Sex outside of marriage is always wrong. Premarital, extramarital, it's always wrong. Always wrong. Here's another one. I I feel compelled to say this because I've dealt with it so much in my ministry. Sexual abuse abuse is not your fault. I've known too many people that think they're the reason someone raped them on a date or raped them. And listen, people, sexual abuse is not your fault. It's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. But don't let it define how you live. And then, and then the last one is this. Make a covenant with God about what you look at on TVs, movies, and internets. Uh, Job 31.1, Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman or an old woman or a middle-aged woman. Chuck Swindoll, he said, he said, you know, it's not the first look that gets you, it's the second. I guess as a pastor, this is the most frustrating thing of all, is that we live in a culture that, that condones it. Now, let me tell you some things about how we... I'm never going to browbeat someone. I'm going to always love someone. And if you don't understand what it means to do the right thing, I'm going to continue to treat, teach you. The church has got to quit being angry but help people learn what the truth is. The church, a lot of times, has pushed people away instead of problem. Man, I love people. And, and, and so we've got to not be angry. And, and, and in the culture we have, we have everything you can imagine. Every one of those things we have. But the way to change them is to love them. And then you take them to the one who loved them so much that he died for them. And you teach them about him and he changes, we don't. So I, I want you to know, you, some of you might say, well, you're awful light on them. If someone doesn't know Christ, they're not going to obey you anyway. 
And I believe the ultimate way to reach people is through love and explaining this is why I do what I do. Um, I have too much hope for people. And God loves people and wants to give them. Listen, marriage and family is the greatest gift He gives you. Just do it His way. Well, I, I think it's almost say uh, it's twelve oh four. I hope I didn't offend you. Uh, well, that's not my job. My my job is to instruct you, and it's good. Is there? You, you give me a, a thumbs up, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, help us to be a church that teaches the truth, that loves people unconditionally. And Father, we thank you. May we always, as the church, honor marriage, honor people, and help people learn the truth, and the truth changes lives. And Father, I thank you so much for that blood that we sang about. I thank you for that blood, that red blood that took Bill Ashburn and made him clean. Doesn't make sense, except in the spiritual realm. I thank you for everyone that's here. May these words be things we live by. In Jesus' name.